Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And Neil, I'm excited about today because we have not only an awesome topic, we're talking about voyage campaigns, setting sail, we're going to talk about all the reasons you might set sail, but then the journey of going on a voyage adventure, but we also have a returning guest, one that I think a lot of our listeners will be excited to hear that he's back. It's Rich Howard, because we're talking yes. about stuff that has to do with water, so Rich Howard has to be here. Yes, he has been a very busy man lately, and you'll hear all about that when we get into the episode, but we finally tricked him into coming back and spending some time with us <laughs> as we talked about voyages. But before we do that, I just wanted to let you all know that if you are a gold dragon or up on our Patreon, you can head on over and find a ship full of NPCs that I built that you can just pop into your game, be it the whole campaign, be it just a one-off, whatever you want to do, and you can have fun with the wonderful ship and NPCs that I've made for you. That's fantastic. You've already done all the work for them. But let's get into those iTunes reviews that we have for this episode. Neil, who's our first iTunes review? So the first one comes from Shiver Me Timbers 1. Because So appropriate. I mean, it's a recent review, but I love that we managed to get it in on this episode all about voyage campaigns. And they titled it, You're Simply the Best. Five stars. I can't wait to hear what episodes you come out with next. I am currently listening to the episode on goblins and can't tell you how much I am learning about my favorite little hordlings. You're simply <laughs> the best. So thank you, Shiver Me Timbers, for that wonderful name and that awesome review. You're simply the best. All right, that's enough of that. Our next one comes from Impaired Reflexes, and it's entitled Dungeon Master Brain Food. Five stars. That's a great title. The absolute best podcast for DMs and players aspiring to be DMs. As a Dungeon Master of more than 25 years, it's fun and engaging to hear other DMs go through the kind of creativity exercises that I'm stewing on between D&D sessions. There's a broad variety of topics from world building to minutia that make a game resonate for players. And the guests are like a gateway drug to the best content and makers shaping my favorite game. Yes. Cheers and thanks for the brain food. Thank you, Thank Impaired you. Reflexes. That was a, a very awesome review. We appreciate it. And we'll round it out with Anton Narlwood, your our friendly druid, I assume. <laughs> and they entitled it Great Podcast, five stars. Just started listening from episode one. Great stuff. Exactly what I needed to spark my brain for my new campaign. Thank you. Well, and as always, thank you for that review. And I believe that is our ultimate goal. Sparking brains everywhere and hopefully not hurting anyone in the process. And I think it's time that we do that right now, Neil. So let's, without any further ado, spark some brains and head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we have a very special guest back with us. It has been way too long for Mitch. It has not been nearly long <laughs> enough for me. I am totally kidding. <laughs> and we have back with us Rich Howard, game designer of many things for many systems. And of course, the one of the hosts for Whelmed, The Young Justice Files, which I have no idea what that is. So I'm, a, I'm very interested to hear all about <laughs> Whelmed, The Young Justice Files. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. Welcome back, Rich. Hey, it's, everybody. It's been way too long, as uh, Neil has said. It has been way too long. I'm like, I refer people to like, oh, my first podcast appearance way back in, oh, no. It's been so long. Yeah. E episode 19. <laughs> Yeah, I know you are a fan favorite guest, so our guests will be excited for your return. And of course, we That's are so going sweet. to talk about some things to do with water <laughs> because it's Rich Howard. Today. So, Shocking. Amazing. <laughs> but kind of like what Neil was saying, last time you 
were on, you were not working on this specific thing that we just talked about. So can you tell any of our listeners who might not be aware of what Whelmed the Young Justice Files is? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, if you remember back in the episode 19, um, Mitch and I went head to head Aquaman versus (laughs) Namor. Uh, I won, of of course, course, as usual. That's how it went. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so people are probably familiar with my love for comics in general, of course, and including Marvel. Uh, and DC. But since then, we I started a podcast with the Caleb G from the RPG Academy Network. Uh, he was a uh, first season co-host. And then my new co-host is Emily Booza, who's fantastic. And our producer and editor is, oh, the amazing Neil Powell. Oh, hey. Whelmed the Young Justice Files podcast is a fan cast about um, the DC animated series Young Justice. But we do more than just talk about how much we love the show. We actually break it down narratively. Um, we talk, of course, having a lot of role playing game people involved. We talk about how you can, what you can learn from each episode, uh, about how to carry on, say, masks games, superhero games, but also if you're writing or creating comics of your own or re- writing novels. Um, Emily's specialty is uh, believable romantic arcs uh, that you can put into your writing. Uh, so we do a lot of breakdown of that, and of course, we have some great discussion guests. Uh, including, well, Neil was on for a yes. discussion as well. <laughs> but also like Quinn Wilson from the Swallows of the South podcast, he came on to talk about the use of linguistics and psychology in development of character uh, in your storytelling, which is amazing. Jeff Stormer from the Party of One podcast came on to, and he apparently has a degree in comic history that I didn't know. So he just schooled me on so much stuff. I did not know that, but that does not surprise me from how well he did it doesn't. on Geek So Wars. I talk about it. <laughs> yeah. If you if you listen to uh, – we recently did over the holiday, we took a little break and we did what we called Whelmed Reprints. And I put Jeff's two uh, – I, I had Neil put, I should say, together Jeff's two uh, guest spots with us. And if you listen to the inter- intro, I'm like – well, I, I was like, wow, Jeff Stormer, um, I, I'm pretty humbled by, by – I thought I knew a lot. You know, this is great. And then, of course, I find out and I'm like, God, I wish, I'm glad I got, was anywhere near him on Geek Wars. I've never heard of a lead buried so deep because it's not his first appearance. It's halfway through his second appearance where he's like, no, well, I have a it was, degree. It, it was at the end oh, of his yeah. second appearance. <laughs> we were off mic and I was like, "How? what is happening? And he's like, well, it makes sense. I have a degree in it. And I'm like, a degree in what? And he was like English with an emphasis in comic literature. Like you didn't mention that for your bio? (laughs) Seriously? Anyway, so we talk about a lot of stuff. So our discussion sessions aren't just talking about the show; they're talking about the creative process. We've had we've had Steve Jack as Steve Kenson from um, Green Running Publishing on to talk about role playing games, and uh, we've had Brennan Conway, the creator of Masks, on the show. uh, Ran an AP for it. We we do a lot on the show. It's not just sitting around geeking out about the show. Um, and we're real proud of it. And recently we've been invited up to Burbank um, to record for the DC Daily Show because the third season of Young Justice after six years is now out in the world and it is incredible. So fantastic. So if you thanks, haven't, yeah, thanks so make much. sure to check that out. You should. And just grab one of the discussion sessions talking about role playing games if you want to. It's great. We talk about it a lot. So we've had James Atricasso on the show. We've had uh, uh, Pranks, Pranks, Pranks Paul, Cat, Cat Cole. Yep. Yep. James D'Amato from One Shot. Basically, everyone, we every, probably a lot of people you know. You can't, you can't <laughs> get role-playing games out of Rich Howard's discussions. That it won't happen. Nope. <laughs> no. It will not happen. Yeah, awesome. For sure. So speaking of role-playing games and discussions with Rich Howard, how about any upcoming projects you are working on that you can talk about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I can talk about is two things. One, right at the moment, Jim McClure and Third Act Publishing has a Kickstarter that's active called Reach of Titan. And I am one of the stretch goals in that Kickstarter. Uh, and I will be creating a horrifying aquatic titan to eat all your characters. Uh, but only if we reach that stretch goal. Um, there's some incredible people on that project as well. And then in addition to that, um, I am the concept lead on a game called Descent into Midnight. Uh, it is a Powered by the Apocalypse game, uh, co-designed by myself, uh, Taylor Labresh from the Leviathan Files, and Richard Kreutz Landry, the origami gamer. Um, we are working on this project together, and you are playing alien, aquatic, sentient creatures on an alien world in an alien ocean in a advanced civilization that is that's technology is based on biotechnology and psionics. So it's a science fiction setting. We're calling it we refer to it periodically as aquapunk. 
So you are uh, psionically trained guardians on this alien world, protecting your community and yourselves from an existential and physical corruption. Uh, the world, it's key, the world has never, never been touched by human existence. So this is an entirely alien world in an alien mind that we try and put your, your mindset into for this setting. Hopefully we'll have our Kickstarter going out later this year, which is our plan before Gen Con. Um, but you can actually go check it out now at DescentIntoMidnight.com or at DIMRPG on Twitter. We have our, pretty soon, I think our fourth playtest packet is going out pretty soon with all of our new playbooks. So you can go check it out yourself right now. I don't know, Rich. doesn't sound like a project that I would have thought that you would have been interested in helping in. But I, I have I, no I, interest I, in yeah. this. I really just, <laughs> no. See, it, is, it is everything that's rich. Somebody was like, oh, Rich made a, made a role-playing game about underwater aquatic superheroes. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, basically. Yeah, psionic <laughs> superheroes. That's me. Fantastic. Yeah, it's me in a, it's me in a, me in a role-playing game. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rich, we got one more question for you. This one is a surprise question, and this one comes from ah. one of our cosmic dragons, Jared Arteche, who, since we're speaking of Geek Wars, I'll just mention here because I know he'll love it, that he was one of the winners of Geek Wars Live in 2018 at a Um, But, oh my so goodness. here is here is his question, and I'm actually going to put a little caveat to his question for you, Rich. Uh, his question is, okay. if you had to end a world you created, apocalypse style, what way would you do it? And I'm going to put a little caveat here that because wow. it's you, okay. we have to say the world that we're talking about, whether this world is completely aquatic or like you have the separation between land and water, aquatic apocalypse, ending of all like all civilization in an aquatic world, how do you do it? Wow. Okay. That's quite a question. Um, so there's two things you want to think about. One, uh, it's not as difficult as you might think to do. <laughs> I mean, we're looking into it now, right? <laughs> right. World. Yeah. We're doing a little, we're doing a little real world research at the moment. But if you're talking about dramatically, if you're talking about something that player characters can get involved with or a story or a narrative that you're getting involved with, you want it to be a little bit bigger. Right. And uh, so if it's a I mean, is this a magic world? Is it a sci fi world? I mean, you can always go with an asteroid, but that doesn't sound fun at all. But the first thing my head goes to is Jam Perkins talking about the shadow apocalypse. Mm. Right. Way back in the day mm, when you yeah. guys were talking to him about horror in games. Yep. So I would think about what would I do in a world? What would I do in a world where there's a monster or creature that is out of control that would end everything right so what what would throw an e e aquatic apo uh, aquatic ecology out of whack gosh well it's funny because like the cerulean seas setting for pathfinder is a post-apocalyptic setting a setting where there were if i'm trying to remember if i remember this correctly there were portals into the the elemental plane of water underwater and those portals ended up having major issues and it caused flooding of all the land masses. Mm. So there's very little land mass. So the entire setting is an aquatic setting because either either everything on the surface died or adapted. And so it's technically a post-apocalyptic setting, but it actually just made the aquatic setting exist <laughs> in the first place. And so you could do something where you're talking about something like similar where when I think portals that are entering into an aquatic world, I think hydrothermal vents. So if something like the something that's deep within the or the planet itself finally gets tapped into maybe something that was put there or something that was buried there what happens if you have a titan like say the history of your world has a titan and that titan was or, or god or demigod was um was placed at the center of the earth to keep it under control well what happens when the the planet shifts and changes and suddenly something comes pouring out of these hydrothermal vents right maybe it's um Maybe it's the blood or the, you know, the just the essence of this this demigod or this titan spewing out into the ocean, causing massive ecologic change. Um, maybe it mutates creatures. Maybe it uh, things start coming up from the deep and you're like, wait, what? Like and, and these are things that are now modified or harken back to an ancient age and then 
uh, something completely out of control, like say the the trench in Aquaman. You got if anybody's seen the live action movie, you got a glimpse at what the trench looked like, but in the comics, that's it's kind of what the trench are. So um, you could do that, and that could be something that the PCs could potentially fight against. But if you want to make it an ecological ap- apocalypse, you want to make it severe. You don't want to make it like, oh, this is our little campaign that we're doing against a horde of bad guys. You know what I mean? You want to make it so that that countries are dying. Like countries have already died before you even realize what's happening. Well, and I feel like the the scary thing is like putting it in the, well, okay, let's talk about an aquatic world's apocalyptic event. Well, if if all of the water becomes so deadly that all of the creatures in the water are dying in the in the aquatic mm-hmm. world, anything on the surface is going to be just as much in trouble once all the water is right. is killing everything in it. So it it could start there, but then it's this chain reaction beyond right. the seas to the land and the whole world's in trouble. Well here's here's the thing. How do you solve that? And you're like the first thing you think of is like, well we're just gonna have to plug up all these hydrothermal vents. Now you're killing the world yourself. Because there's so much matter and chemicals coming up, everything that lives around it is all chemosynthesis, and then those things that get eat, those things get eaten, and then those things, you know, go up the food chain. So like it will, it would change everything about your world over time. It would become an Athos, basically, like a dark sun. Like you could set a setting in, in, in your next campaign after that <laughs> could be a very different campaign. Is what I'm saying, like trying to survive in these dead zones. Well, yes. thanks, Rich. Uh, we appreciate that that answer to that question, and thanks, Jared, for asking the question. So we got good a whole question. Yes, I'm going to be thinking. I'm going to be thinking about that question. The meat began. <laughs> but it is the perfect way to take us right into the meat about talking about voyage campaigns, because basically everything Rich said is a reason to set sail, and that is kind of the <laughs> first part that we want to talk about: is why are you? You know, I mean, there needs to be some level of motivation that has your players getting on a boat and setting out and you're in the rising the rising tides that are raising all ships way too high could certainly be one of those reasons Mm -hmm. and going and searching out what is wrong these things coming up from the deep like what is wrong so what are some ideas that we have as to why a party would even begin to set sail mitch i know you know and during longtime listeners would know that you had an entire campaign that I believe had Voyage in its title. Yeah. I mean, it was all based on what is beyond the unending sea? Is there an end to this unending sea uh, in my world? And it, it was that that voyage to see if they could reach an edge or another land. And that that's a perfect place to start is a voyage that's based on exploration. Has the world been completely is has everything been discovered? Are there lands out there that have not been discovered? Is there an edge of the world? Is that making people afraid to go on these voyages? Well, some people are not going to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to go. We got to know we're adventurers. If there's an edge, then we're going to find it. But we have to know. And and the exploration is the perfect place to start, in my opinion, with a voyage campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a straightforward, it's a real straightforward one, right? What's, what's out here in the world? You could also do a voyage campaign if you're starting from a, in a homebrew world, you could just make the homebrew world archipelagos, right? And I've talked about, uh, you can go back to listen to the other guest spots I've had, but I talk about things. If you have a world that's covered in, in islands and not covered in giant continents, then you have other problems like giant superstorms that don't get broken up by large land masses and, you know, those kinds of things. So it becomes more than just like, oh, we're in a storm. Oh, no, not like any storm that we know. So you have to you have to be able to to figure that out. And uh, strangely enough, a lot of cultures that are that are island based, even like, a, 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 you know, an empire like the, the Japanese empire, they didn't do a lot out in the open ocean. They even though they're you'd think that these island cultures, these Polynesian cultures and whatnot, that seem to be great sailors. They're great sailors for the area that they're in. And yes, they're definitely these, you know, people that go out and explore different areas or they get caught in storms and are, you know, sent to new, new, new lands, but they're really good for that close up. Um, the, I mean, a great example of that is the movie Moana, 
right? Where the the culture was like, no, we're here now. We used to be explorers, but it got ugly. Don't go <laughs> and past now the we're, reef. And we're here, right? And so it's terrible out there. There's terrible, terrible things out there, right? But there's a history there that you could tap into that a, that a hero might be like, but my ancestor did X and I am compelled to do this as well. That's a great way to do it. Exploration is is great. But in, in Moana, it's not just exploration. It's saving the world. Right. And so you could do other things. Um, the Demon Plague campaign by uh, James Tricasso, right? That, that campaign is a thing where there has been an evil that's frozen in ice and that ice has now been melting and now this evil has come out. Well, you can do the same thing with, with something else. Say there's somebody opened an unclosing portal uh, to the elemental plane of water and the only way they could shut it down, like in the Arctic, was just freezing it. Well, what happens if that breaks open and suddenly the oceans are rising and no one knows why? Like, it's just happening. And you have to figure out even where it's coming from at all. Like, where is it even coming from? Much less going and trying to stop it and becoming powerful enough to stop it. And what is it waking up, you know, as it's pouring out? So if you want to tie it into this apocalyptic thing that we were talking about earlier, that's, I mean, that's always a good motivation, right? You could also have your character, your players work with you to create, like, say, their even even an island continent that's fairly large, have have them help you work with this, like create part of this. And then in the first game, you tell them, oh, by the way, it's 10 years later. And like the, the 20, there's 20 miles of coast all around this island. All of these cultures that you helped me create are now underwater and dead. Right. And everyone's in the center, like say Australia, a lot of the, a lot of the, the settlements um, are around the outside with the exception of the cultures that have been there forever. Right, because they've learned how to live in the in the central part of the continent, and then it becomes like, oh no, right? Like this thing we helped to create is actually like, oh, I, I I created part of this city, and now the city is underwater, right? And and things have happened, and cultures have had to change, and forced us out into the sea to do these things. It's funny because the idea of voyage campaigns gives me a perspective on world building at first glance. I think is kind of odd, but I feel like. With the idea of voyage campaigns in my mind, people who have not completely created their entire world map, who have not really gone deep with their players and gone to all these different locations in their world, are actually at an advantage. Because you can, of course, even if you've created the entire world map, you have so much of this lore out, your players know about all these different continents in your world, you can do a voyage campaign and travel back in time and like, Oh, we're going to explore this continent. And your characters the first time are exploring it. But if you've never even created or revealed that continent, how much more interesting is that to do a voyage campaign? So you're kind of coming at it from if you haven't created your entire world, you're on an advantage here, Mm -hmm. both as the creative process as a DM and you can kind of really sink your teeth into it, but also getting your players excited about Something that's completely unknown. Right. And then kind of my follow up on that is that, okay, you created your world. And so it's like, ah, man, I've lost that opportunity. And I would say, no, you haven't. What if you were to take your world billions of years into the future where now the whole landscape has changed? And maybe that continent, because of we've talked a lot about cataclysmic events here, has changed that huge continent, like you were saying, Rich, into thousands of islands yeah and the world's going to be extremely different billions of years into the future so you can just jump into a different time after an apocalyptic event and maybe at that time technology and stuff is even lower uh is even worse than what you have been playing in but now you have a whole new world to explore and unknown things to explore absolutely i i call it pulling a new monera Right. You've gone so far yeah, into the future that you've perfect. gone. So you've cycled through and you're coming out of a dark ages again, a dark ages of technology. Um, and so if it's a world that's moved into the future where magic once existed and magic is your technology, then maybe you're rediscovering and crazy ancient things. I had a good friend of mine who uh, had, had run a campaign. This was a long time ago. And he got a map of our world and a topographic map. And then used a computer to raise the water level up so that it would just wrapped around, you know, a certain level of topographic level and the world and then turned it on its side. And there's no way to recognize (laughs) that it once was our world. Right. And you get these weird islands and all these places out there. Right. Like that, you know, 
there's no way to recognize that it was like, oh, this used to be Africa, <laughs> right? But like now you've got the space that you can work with, even as a springboard. But also, I think it's a great creative space for being a dungeon master, but it's also a great opportunity to engage in player agency. You're going to this new island. And it's like, okay, you're approaching this island, right? You guys are starving. You know, you're running out of fresh water. You're finally seeing land. Ask your players, what is one thing that draws you to the island? And what is one thing that's terrifying you about this island? And then sit back because they will give you something that's far more terrifying than you can come up with because it's their terror, <laughs> right? Not your hope not you making something up and hoping it's terrible. And then use that as a springboard. Like you may have ideas of like, oh, well, I, I want to put uh, an ancient temple on the island, right? I want to put these clues that are important for the campaign on this island somewhere. But once they bring to you some of this flavor text, then you can really flesh out where you want to put this. And you may be on that island for five or six sessions, right? So you can put your stuff in there, but it will have that kind of cinematography to the island, the viewpoint and the through line of the feel that gives them the most important, the thing they, they think is the most important, which is what draws you to the island and the thing that makes that's the most terrible. <laughs> and they will give you those two extremes and you just work in between the middle of it. And if you're doing, if you're doing island to island to island campaigns, you can do, you can do this. And if you know what, if it doesn't work out, you're there for a session and off you go. Yeah. So we have this idea of exploration, Rich, you've talked about a journey that has like a set destination of like, we need to save the world. And so we have to go to this place to fight this monster or fix this problem. Are there any other ideas that we can have for what causes a voyage to start? Neil, any thoughts on that? The other one I thought that'd be really fun is if you like message in a bottle, but like a shipwreck Ooh. of something that no one understands was the one that kind of came up as the catalyst for what the players want to go find. Like, you know, they maybe people have never really thought or cared about what's out there until something clearly from out there yeah. showed up, shows up, shows up on a shoreline somewhere. Yeah. And it, it changes everything. Oh, yeah. Because now, like, yeah. yeah, the perception is going to be the same concept as like aliens crash land. And we got a lot more questions now. But, you know, I mean, that, you know, I mean, right. it could be an entirely new race as well. You know, I mean, to really let that expand out. The body of a new race. I'm, I'm like yeah. now we've got the now we've got the fantasy equivalent of Area 51 going yep. on. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I wouldn't want to have it be too much information because that I mean, that's kind of it's the catalyst for the voyage. So I would want yeah. just just enough seeds. Well, that's it. Like you don't have a rate, you don't have a living person. Yeah. You have a body that washes up. And at first you think, oh, this is a, this is a strange creature from the depths until you kind of check it. And it's like, oh, it's wearing clothes or has tattoos yeah. or has gear and equipment or, or maybe what you consider an artifact in your world, depending on their, on your magic level in your world. Maybe you have a low magic world and they're showing up with, uh, you know, a staff of the magi, right? And you're just like, whoa, right? Or even an entire vessel filled with bodies of a different race that mm -hmm. and a ship that is so foreign and so strange looking that maybe when you approach it on the beach you don't even at first think that it's a ship uh and then yeah. upon closer inspection you're like this is this is a vessel like and there are people i assume people dead on this <laughs> yeah and this is a thing that's that's uh, maybe it's a trope for science fiction i don't know but this combination of like human quote-unquote technology or you know, the, whatever your core races are for your world technology and this alien technology, like we weren't, so we pull, go back to Moana again. There's some reason we have not been able to get out very far. We just don't have the technology or the enough woodworking knowledge to make heavier ships or whatever to get out there. Or, or maybe there's literally a reef, you know, like we don't know what that is, but this thing washes up on shore. We don't know exactly how it works, but we do, we're going to, you know, kit bash it. <laughs> into our own technology and now you've got a crew that has their own unique ship that's a combination of yes. of human technology and alien technology right it's classic babylon 5 combining the you know combining the the different aliens and human vessels into one new science you know scientifically advanced ship that uses the advantages of, of various things and then you can you can do that maybe you've got a a Voyager situation, right? Where you've got technology on the, on the ship that you don't know exactly how it works, which gives the DM lots of space to like do weird stuff with it and use it to go out and find out what more there is, you know? Um, so you got the combination of exploration, but you also have the motivation to be able to go out there. And then if you combine that with something like a slowly dwindling resource on the mainland, 
and this is a thing that that isn't just a curiosity, but it needs we're motivated to happen. This is our moon landing, right? We've got to we got to do this, you know. So those are some great, interesting ways to to head off a campaign and to already start your characters off with interesting ideas. I think these are fantastic ideas for just starting off a voyage. Like you, you could of course do other simple things. Like uh, the voyage could simply be a trading uh, vessel going around to different islands, or or you can go with a, a navy ship, and you're part, you're all part of the crew. Um, but there are plenty of different ways to start that voyage. But there are a couple other elements I think that would have to go into starting a voyage. What would be some of the elements? You you know what the catalyst is. Are there any certain preparations that would be a fun thing to role play for a group of adventurers going on a journey? And before they get on that ship, what are some things that they would have to prepare to get ready? That's this is always the question, right? How much do you want to use the encumbrance rules, yep. right? How <laughs> many air? How much? Thought. How much do you want to track arrows and some fresh water? It, some people hate it. Yeah. Some people don't. So you're going to want to put it in. But there, and I put a little bit of thought into this, but. I think there are ways that you can do, say, freshwater. Freshwater is a big thing, right? Scurvy, right? You need vitamin C out in the ocean. And if you're not taking fresh fruit and fresh fruit doesn't last very long, right, then you've got a problem, right? Something that's got that going on. You can do those kinds of things. You can. You have to find a way to make it fun for your table. And I don't mean like scurvy's fun, but like yay. you need to – yay. But you you need to find a way to make it dramatically interesting, I guess, is the way that I want to put it, in my opinion. It, some people like to do the number crunching and the min-maxing of what we have and how we have the resources. Man, lean into that. You got a table that loves that? Lean into it, right? How Even much do you, you need player, and what are you carrying? Like, have that player thinking. be the one who's in charge of those things. Right. They might love They're the quartermaster. And he or she might be like all about making this list and doing some research and being like, no, no, we, we prepared for that. I have put those items on board. Right. Or vice versa. They're the ones going like, Hey guys, uh, <laughs> we're, we yeah. got like two days. Do we get like two days of fresh water left? And then people mm-hmm. are going to die. Uh, and you have, we haven't seen, we've either got no, you know, we've got a dead sea, right? So quiet winds and you're using a sailing vessel, you're in trouble, right? Or, you know, it can, it can feed them. It can feed the drama. That right, those resource limitations can feed it if you if you have a table that's into it. If you don't have a table that's into wanting to track all that, I mean, you can certainly hand wave it with magic again, like whether or not or technology or whatever it is that you want to use. You could do that. It, it there's downsides to that too. It's easier, but the downside is is that it becomes less of feeling like this dangerous mission and more like why didn't everybody just do this? Yeah. Why why are we the first ones? Right. You want to make the players feel like they are exploring, right? Like they are discovering things for the first time, which which gets into like the part the the journey part of it as well. Like what that is, if you're if you're saying in your world that you say you have, we'll just say that there's just humans, right? Or your core humans, dwarves, elves, you know, basic stuff, right? You get in your boat, you go out. Well, if you're if you're if no one's really been out there from your civilizations, and you run into Sawagan for the first time. Or Kuatoa for the first time. No, think about this. Why would they attack you? I mean, do they have this relationship of attacking with other aquatic species? Or are you going to run into Sawagan for the first time and be able to turn this on its ear for your players? The players are scared of Sawagan. The people on the ship have never seen them before. They're going to be fascinated by them. And the Sawagan might also be like, oh, this is interesting. What is this? And you might end up having a situation where it's like, oh, no, we have a trade agreement with these Sawagan. We figured out how to do this with them, and they are now partially allies. They may have an edge to them. It may be it may be making deals with Klingons or whatever you want to parallel you want to make. But you can change things around in this way. Because if a culture's never seen another culture like this before, they're, they're like there's a, a domino effect of how that works. And then if you're allied with the Sawagan, what if you then run into merfolk? And then you find, oh, wait a minute, now we're allies with the Sawagan, and now we ran into merfolk, but the merfolk and the Sawagan have a problem. Or maybe the culture on this island that we run into has been hunted or whatever by the Sawagan, but we have a deal with them. So what side are we on now? And what are we doing? And, you know, you can get into a lot of things if you just take a, take a minute to kind of think about the consequences of having not been exposed to other these other or the other cultures not being exposed to you even. And every culture is going to mean 
a different way of having these diplomatic if it if you are given a chance encounters i mean if you run into a sea monster that just wants to destroy your <laughs> ship you might uh, unless it speaks draconic and it's a intelligent creature <laughs> right. you're probably sure, right. not going to be speaking to it and say please don't attack us it's going to want to attack you or a kraken might just simply attack you but yeah like merfolk are going to be different than suagin and yeah. i even thought of like what if you run into kuatoa because how do you how in the world do you run a diplomatic encounter with kuatoa who are just if you know anything about the kuatoa completely insane but yeah. it might even work to your advantage because yeah. with their insanity yes. they see your vessel coming towards them and they think it's a god because they love making right. up gods and how does how does that happen when you run to some kuatoa who are worshiping your ship and think that you are yeah. the exalted servants of this this new god that's entered in their territory Let's throw it back a little bit. You've created this ship that's partially your technology and partially whatever you found on the beach technology. And maybe some of that, maybe there's a symbol on a device or there's something on your sails or there's something on the ship itself that you salvaged from this other thing. Well, what happens when you run into Kuatoa or maybe you hear about, you know, these dangerous Kuatoa and when they show up, they're not dangerous to you at all. And you're like, now it gives you like, wait, do we negotiate with them? Do we talk to them? Do they know something about this or are they just crazy? Like, are they just in, you know, insane from, you know, like creatures from the deep, you know, the Cthulhu kind of crazy, <laughs> you know? And if they are and they recognize us and now they're friends with us, what does that say about the technology we have in our ship? <laughs> right? Like, so there there are things that you can do to keep my, – my big thing on the table is trying to keep expectations, trying to make things seem familiar but different. Like, you know what a Kuatoa looks like, or you know what a Sawagan looks like, or that's great. But don't, you know, ch check your check your player knowledge, right? Check your out-of-game knowledge. What do you, what does your player character really know? And can we create something new and interesting from this interaction instead yep. of just the same stereotyped fight, you know, in, in the game? You could have a good, real good fights. But the other thing about Kraken, what does a Kraken care? Why would a Kraken attack your ship? Why would they care? A kraken the size of a metropolis that we were talking about in, in our previous sessions, you're not even a snack to them. So if they're attacking you, is it because of the technology on your ship? Like, they're not just angry. Like, they're just doing their thing. Why doesn't it just show up? Why doesn't an eyeball the size of your hometown just show up at the surface looking at you, trying to figure out what you even are? Again, it starts to create non-combat situations where players might not know what they for like do you want to shoot that in the eye i probably not you <laughs> uh, know so you might want to figure out what to do from there and what that means i think that leads to a really good thing about the journey is also the ability to always kind of hone in on the interpersonal conflicts or you know just the fact that you have this what would be a large number of people in such a small space and and if you've oh, ever yeah. experienced that in the real world that leads itself to so many discussions and you know intentions running high and things like that so there's a lot of really good rp moments that are always available because you're stuck in this very confined space doing this very high stress situation you're know, going back to everything could be fine until so and so brings up the fact that hey we're going to run out of food in 2 days or right. fresh water in two days. And now how does everyone view it? Or even like you said, the Kraken, one person may say, yes, we 100% should point this ballista down in, into this eye. And you know, and how many people are saying, no, 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 please don't do that. <laughs> right. Yes. And it, that's very possible. And that brings us to a thing like we were talking about preparations, right? How big is your ship? How many players do you have? How you have many four ships players? do you have on this journey? Yeah. How many ships do you have? Ooh, yeah. What if you're what if you're pulling an, enter, an, an an enterprise, an enterprise D? What if it's a colony ship? What if you're forced to make this thing into a yes. huge colony ship, right? Or what if it's a what if it's not just one ship? What if it's a, a it's a whole flotilla, right? You're you're doing a again back to Moana with you know exploring a bunch of different ships that do a bunch of different things, right? Or a, a Battlestar Galactica equivalent. Right. Where you have a bunch of different ships that have different specialties and going back and forth. And then if you're playing a D&D &D game or, you know, like, a, I don't know, Dungeon World or something where you have these standard classes of like Druid and Ranger and Fighter, what other things would a Druid do on a ship? Right. What could they do uh, on a ship? And, and that would be very helpful. But then how many NPCs do you have that you're involved with? And 
how much resources are they taking up? Like you could do that kind of thing as well. And and when they start dying, when you get in a combat, it matters. Because if you don't have enough people to man the orders when the wind goes down and you have no sails, uh, that's a whole different problem, right? <laughs> you know? So, you know, there's lots of, you can do a lots of this kind of equipment management. Sorry to consider, you know, random NPCs on a ship equipment, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, uh, but still like you have these resource management. It becomes a resource, man- resource management thing. That you don't have to lean into heavy and do, you know, lots of calculus, but it's something to consider, including the interpersonal relationships. And again, try not to, this is, this is my thing. There's a lot of things that a DM does. You have a lot of things on your plate. Creating 40 NPCs with different personalities and keeping them all in your head is real. Don't, don't give, don't do that to yourself. Do the same thing I was talking earlier about the islands. Like, tell me about an NPC that's on this on this ship that you've connected to and tell me one that you have a rivalry or issue with and why. Okay, now the players are involved. They're not only invested in the relationship with those characters because they, they'll be able to put their own story on it, but they'll help you remember <laughs> that they even exist. Yeah. Right? You don't have to keep track of 45, you know, men and women and dwarves and whatever that are on this ship. And go- And going off of that, too, if you're deciding... I love that idea you said, Rich, of like, what if this is like a colony ship and you need to get in? So hopefully this colony ship, which may not be well armed because it's carrying civilians, is surrounded by all these other ships that are maybe ships built to protect it. War vessels. If you've got multiple ships, quicker, if you have multiple ships, don't don't feel the need to create a captain for every single ship and a crew for every single ship. Focus on your ship. And that kind of frees you up to also go and this, you know, my thought is those other ships are expendable in amazing role playing ways. We thought, you know, we Rich, you brought up a Kraken. Uh, Neil, you brought up the fact that when you have a small, a large number of people on a small location, tensions can can become extremely high when you introduce things like lack of fresh water, lack of food. What if you've got a bunch of ships around you, like a huge number of them, and you're just, it's smooth sailing, and all of a sudden, a kraken comes up, because it thinks it's a large fish on the water, kraken comes up, completely, easily eats one of the surrounding ships, and goes down, and it's gone, an entire ship, completely gone, but for now, the kraken is cool, but you can look down and see it following your group of ships. Tensions are going to mm-hmm. start to extremely go high, and how does oh, your ship yeah. deal with that? Terrifying. Is there a mutiny? Is there? Yeah, it's it's terrifying. And you might go, well, there's other ships, but you're not just going to go, ah, let them eat the other ships. Like you have a problem there. Do you break off? There's all these different things that come up from this one encounter that could not even be a battle. If you specialize in those ships too, what if you have a, a so your ship that you captain right is a is is a colony ship right? It's the thing that's the largest ship that's made of this combination of whatever technology we're talking about right? It's the largest thing and it can keep those people, but it might not. It might have a lot of people storage, but it might not have enough storage for food. So now you have a a, a separate ship that's a that's a cargo vessel. What happens if that cargo vessel gets eaten? Hmm. What happens yep. if that cargo vessel has a mechanical problem? You're not just good. You, you become to a point where it's like, okay, well, you know, we have a bunch of little ships that are combat oriented with ballista and stuff. And, oh, we lost one of those. Okay. It's like losing a TIE fighter, you know, like, okay, whatever. But that's not make these other ships in this convoy important, yeah. right? And you can do, again, like the, the, vim- the image that keeps coming up to me is the end scene in Moana where she is clearly the navigator in the cap. She is the chief. But there are all these other ships, right? But she's the captain of the whole flotilla, right? So you, like you're saying, I, I back you on this thing about you know, don't create a captain for every ship and don't create a bunch of, you know, that's not where you don't need to get that drama going on. You have too many person, too many big personalities that can draw attention. Forget that. Let the players shine. Let them be the heads of what's happening. And if a player character needs to go to a different ship and every person can run a different ship during some kind of combat or conflict or a storm or some other role-playing thing, let them do that, right? So everybody kind of gets their own ability to do that. I would be a total jerk and let the players roll to see which ship got eaten. Uh, yeah, and basically- oh, yeah. You know, you totally make the players make yeah. that roll. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't make that roll. They'll be mad at you. They can't be mad at Yeah. <laughs> you just ask, ask the player like, oh, you're looking over the side of the ship. You're looking at a specific ship. What's the name of that ship? Like, 
Tell me a little bit about that ship. What what are some details you know about the captain? <laughs> Do you have a friend on that ship? Oh, guess Do what? Do you have a family member? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's beautiful. I love every minute of that. The other thing I thought, I mean, oh, wow. To even get into the concepts of that and having things be specifically spread out, you know, like, you know, in military, uh, often family members aren't placed in the same groupings, you know, uh, for that that exact reason. So then you could lose a brother or something like that because they were on the other ship. The one thing about the journey that we hint that I I think we all kind of hinted at, but I wanted to make a point of is that this, this kind of campaign is definitely one where you can use the, what I, I guess what I'll coin as next week kind of campaign where you've only really planned out the next week because right. you're in, they are on this journey. And I think a lot of it really, really hinges on what that means for them, what the voyage is for them, how they're kind of interacting with each other. But I think this is really a campaign where you kind of want to p- play a little bit fast and loose and just kind of take it that one session at a time. I think that really, and again, if you incorporate fold in that player agency aspect, like you, you really can make it as, as an exploration for yourself, like you're discovering what your world looks like along with the players. So, so one of the things that I would, I would incorporate in this, if you're going to have, if you're, if you're out in the world to uh, either discover something like this technology or to figure out why the ocean's rising, right? And you have, you have an end game, right? An end to the voyage, right? You have an end game thing. What I would do is I would I'd pull something I'd pull something from the gumshoe system. I would make sure that it's like when you're on an island or you're interacting with a culture or you're doing something else or I'm introducing some conflict, you you create a clue that the that the players will get. This is the clue I'm going to get to the players. And it does not become an adventure of do they get the clue? It becomes an adventure of how and when do they get the clue? Never make roles for them that could fail potentially to not get the clue you're giving them, right? Make the adventure about how they get that, but know the dots that you want to connect to have them head to the Arctic and find out that's where the problem is, right? Or to, you know, go through this portal or warp or something into another world that is where this technology came from or wherever you want to get them to plant your seeds, but you can do that in a week to week campaign. You can say like, no, I've got my, I got my dots I want to connect. I just get to put those dots where I want to put those dots and when I want to put those dots. And again, you can do a whole plot. You can say like, I, we got this island. I really want to do a cool Isle of Dread, you know, dinosaurs and, you know, this kind of stuff. And I'm going to do like a really detailed dungeon basically for them to get this clue. You can plan all that out. You don't just have to plan every spot that your clue is going to go into and what island they're going to go to and, oh, what if they don't go to that island and, oh, no, I guess they just don't get that clue. Like, don't do that to yourself either, you know? That's my opinion. Keep your keep your, keep your your drama moving forward. Yeah, and and speaking of, Rich, you were talking about, like, the end, the end of the journey. Uh, so, I mean, we could talk about the journey itself, like, all day. Uh, there are so many, like, we didn't even talk about, like, the elements like whirlpools, storms, things like that, that could be obstacles and, and encounters along the way. We didn't get into even like there could be ghost ships or uh, a stolaway that you have to deal with or a mutiny or like a flying quipper school. There's so many different things that we could talk about, but because we do have a, a time limit here, let's transition into like the end of the journey. So you, whatever we've talked about at the beginning, Voyage campaigns, starting an exploration, finding like a problem that's going to be world ending. Like, how do you how do you in the best way bring a voyage campaign to a successful end? What is what is the way to bring it all full circle or to make it end with that way that the players just go? Yes, that was that was the perfect kind of ending. Have the Kraken eat their ship. Oh, yeah. Right. No, that's, that's not <laughs> it. That's bad. <laughs> Roll credits. Oh, first first edition flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, they rolled it and it was on the it was on the table. It, it was, was on the table. Ship. Tell me what yeah. ship you're rolled looking 100. at. I'm looking at our ship. Ooh. Right. <laughs> oh. That could be fascinating. So here's what I think it's not that a lot of people think it is. Okay. Well, we found the alien. You know, whatever we define as alien. That's not the end of the voyage. The end of the voyage is about the characters and that story. 
it, there is a part of it that should be satisfying and like, oh, we got here and we found it and we made this discovery. And I think that's important. But the voyage, voyaging on the seas changes people. <laughs> and I could spend a whole hour just talking about that. The sailing that I have done in my travels, it changes you. There is something about the sea. And I know that, again, it's like a trope or a cliche, but it is absolutely true. And so if people have been living on land and they're not sailors or not, you know, super skilled sailors out in the open ocean, it will change you. And I think that allowing the characters to grow and watching your characters and where they're going and how they're changing based on the things that they're discovering, the people they're meeting, the cultures they're meeting and how that changes them. I think that's the end of the that's the end of the the journey. You get to a de destination, you save the world, you don't save the world. And the next campaign is about the post-apocalyptic aftermath. But one way or the other, the ending is, where is that character's arc stopping? Mm -hmm. And that's always, to me, where I'm, I try to aim my characters if I am doing a campaign. That's kind of, like you said, like it may sound cliche, but it's kind of beautiful in a sense. Like that whole, uh, it's about the journey, not the destination. But I think that's completely true. Like I think there's a very satisfactory way to end a voyage campaign that if we're talking about an exploration campaign, if we take it back to Neil's a body washes up that you're unfamiliar of the, with the race and you go through all these crazy events to get to this new land and you see the new land, you got somebody yell land ho, you land on the beach, your players exit off of their rowboats and then they see from the jungle or the forest or wherever emerge living beings that were of this race that you found, whether it was one body or an entire ship, emerge from the forest. And mm -hmm. I think there's a satisfactory end there with even just one of your players just saying hello or something. And then just, yes, you fade it to black. That's the end. Right. That's and what I was thinking. The yeah. next campaign is all about like this new land and you're going to play as the race that was discovered. But like, yeah. you don't you don't even need to. You can and it can be satisfactory to take it a step further. But something in just ending there is beautiful. I agree. And and think about what you might have learned, what you think you've learned about this this race or this culture when you are on this ship that's part of their technology. What if there's what if I keep thinking of like, well, ghost ship, right? People are like there's ghosts on this ship, right? Well, what if that's just part of the technology? What if part of the technology is is drawing energy from another dimension, right? And that's causing stuff on the ship, right? But you how does that affect the culture that you're going to discover? And so you, you're there and you're like, I, we've never met before and I somehow feel like I know you. That is an incredible ending, I think. Kill them with a cracker. Well, I mean, and, the whole right, I mean, yeah, going, <laughs> going back, like you know, the, the whole point of the discussion is a voyage campaign because you could just as easily have your whole campaign be in that new world by drawing this super classic dotted line from where the players are to where the players will be like yeah. that's you know that's the purpose of this discussion is that it is the voyage it is the the journey uh i think yeah having that ending having like they have to get there has to be a goal maybe it's not something that they set out to find but along the way you will realize what your player's goal is in this voyage and that's that needs to be the end point yeah. is yeah. them reaching that goal and it could be something completely different from what you thought they started out to mm -hmm. find but you need to you know eventually hone in on that and get them there what we thought what we were looking for were aliens but what we really found was ourselves yes oh what if it was just themselves and we didn't even talk about this type of journey, but it it could also the start of the journey could be you're in an unknown place and you're trying to get home an odyssey like adventure. And the ending there is mm -hmm. you reach the shore, your wife is on on the docks or your husband's on the docks and you mm -hmm. run towards them. You embrace your kids, your family and cut to black. What happens if, yeah, what happens if you get on the ship and you've incorporated this technology and somebody does something and, uh, you know, it's like they're waving goodbye to you as you're going off onto the, but then literally the entire ship teleports away. Yeah. Cool. And now you're, again, in a bit of a Star Trek Voyager situation, right? There's a lot of these, I think it's important not to ignore science fiction's influence on this kind of campaign because it's really what it is. 
you're on a ship and you're going from planet to planet is is very parallel to island to island. So so draw on everything you've got. And if you're doing a science fiction show, this is the same kind of a thing, right? You know, you can if you're doing a science science fiction game. I'm I mean. Draw on aquatic parallels and aquatic adventuring to do, you know, both back and forth. It's very easy to get inspired. So with all of that out of the way, we're going to do as we have started kind of giving some homework, research, whatever non-trigger word you want to use for it, but kind of our last thoughts of things. Why well, I, I realized we kept saying homework and people just might freak out and turn it, turn the podcast off. But whatever we have as final thoughts and kind of things people could go check out. Um, I'll kick it off for NPCs. A great place to go look is all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies hmm. because you have entire ships worth of people, but can you remember more than about half a dozen? No. That's the point. Yes. You know, that that would be the point in your game. And you know, and if you have, you know, and let's say kind of your classic four and you have the one they like, the one they don't. So now again you're up to about you know, half a dozen at most eight different NPCs that you have in your pocket that can fill and any it's plenty. role. Yep, any role you need them to. Right. And they might overlap a little bit. Like it's you know, I have a problem with this person, but he's my best friend. You yep. know, like you could have it overlap a little bit, which could be interesting as well. Yeah, but I think it's important. You're going to, if you have a lot of people on the ships, focus on the ones that are narratively important. I mean, it's a basic writing 101. Rich, what's your, what's your homework or not? I would think I would be uh, remiss if I hadn't mentioned that Sean Ellsworth, who is over on tribality.com, has some stuff. He's got a pirate adventure supplement you can get on DriveThruRPG um, through Tribality pub Publishing, but he's also got a really big thing on sea combat which is fantastic. Um, so you go check that out. And also talking about this kind of stuff about like what you need and, and just getting inspired by randomness. You should check out Black Shark uh, Publishing as well. Mark Cookman has a lot of real easy, cheap little sub, uh, PDFs that have um, random dice roll tables on them for stuff that you find in like shipwrecks or stuff that you need or, you know, or, or encounters and, and that kind of stuff that's really can be really interesting. And they're real straightforward uh, not expensive at all, and uh, he does he does amazing stuff. But on on top of that, as far as homework is concerned, I guess because I kept making references to things, man, check out a, a movie like Moana and see what you can pull out of that. Check out science fiction stuff, right? I mentioned Babylon Five, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, right? Star Wars, even right? Different places that people go. Like, okay, we're going to Dagobah. All right, well, what's the thing that's most interesting to you? Um, it, there's no technology; it's all full of life. Oh, okay, cool. What's the thing that horrifies you? Um, there's no technology and it's <laughs> full of life, <laughs> right? Oh, okay, well, now I know what we're doing here, right? Like this helps to feed into, this is not what I was thinking about for Yoda, but now I have a whole different view of who Yoda is and this could be interesting, right? So look look outside the genre of the genre that you're writing or you're gaming in and look for that. Look at that for inspiration. I think for me, I would say if you're going for more of a realistic inspiration, the movie Master and Commander is... One of my favorite Russell Crowe oh, yeah. movies. Great. It's phenomenal. And Great I think everything you guys are talking about with really focusing in on key NPCs, that movie does a great job of giving us a, a movie glance at that. I also can't talk about Voyage yep. campaigns and not think about uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader from the Narnia series. Like if you're talking oh, yeah. high fantasy and it's funny because those yes. those that book and those journeys and those islands are the some of the most high fantasy you get in all of the Narnia books. But that is that yeah. is a brilliant place to get inspiration from. And then I'll just say, depending on when you're listening to this episode, at the time that we're recording this, all we've gotten from Wizards is a little glimpse that there's a, a book coming Ooh, out yeah. with nautical themes in it, which was kind of the catalyst to this episode starting. But at the time you're listening to this, is that book out? If it is, go check it out if you haven't out. because I'm sure it's brilliant and yeah. it'll have plenty of inspiration for voyages like this. Yeah, I agree. So um, that's it. We're going to go on our own voyage and go back to our lives where we don't get to talk about more voyages. <laughs> but before we go, Rich, where can people go on 
ye old interwebs and find everything you do. <laughs> you can go to my Twitter account is usually the best place to find me. It's at Umbral Walker, U-M-B-R-A-L-W-A-L-K-E-R. Uh, I've got a pinned tweet that's got links to a bunch of other stuff, but you can find me at the YJ Files if you're interested in Young Justice or DC or comics uh, and the creative writing process. You can also find at D-I-M-R-P-G for Descent into Midnight or DescentIntoMidnight.com. Um, we do. We are running uh, more playtests through MAMS Gaming at Gen Con this year. So if you want to get on that, you should jump in as fast as possible. They tend to fill up, which I'm really proud about. And that's it. Okay. Well, Rich, thanks for coming back thanks on so and much. talking to us about Voyage Campaign. Anytime. I love coming on and talking to you guys. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? Welcome back to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, where we talk about ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. So this email comes from Katie, and Katie writes in about actually a, believe it or not, back when this was a segment not on DMnastics, Neil, mm. but on The Real Show, a light, a light bulb ah, that yes. we brought up, uh, where we talked about something called a life point. And so she asks, I'm listening from the beginning, so... She says, you talked about giving each player a life point to bring them back to being stable after being killed. Do you let players roll their death saves or use the life point if they get three fails? Or do you have them decide whether to use it beforehand? And so here's the thing, Katie, with these life points. Uh, this was definitely something I only used in one campaign because we had so many characters and there was it was high stakes lots of death so it was like oh you want your character to live okay well um you have one life point for the entire campaign where you can use this and so if you're using it make sure that this is the point that you want to use it but back when we used this we were playing 3.5 edition uh, there was so neil if you you know 3.5 yep. you still play pathfinder quite quite regularly yep there was no rolling for fails it was characters reached a negative hit point and they were dead yep so once that happened they knew the players knew to answer your question they knew they were dead they would use the life point and they would not be dead it was basically that they didn't reach that point so for fifth edition it'd be even easier it was just well you rolled three failures but instead this is the one time that it's it's not going to work but what are your thoughts on that neil life point in general and now, I guess, bringing it into a 5th edition viewpoint because we were using it in 3.5. Yeah. Well, like you said, 3.5 was much more definitive. Negative 10, you're dead. I mean, there's no question, which could easily happen from a single hit because you were teetering on two left and someone came in for you know, 15. Mm -hmm. You're dead, negative 13, you're dead. There's no question. So as much as I would want it to be at the third death save, I would actually probably have it be for both because conceptually – if someone were to go back and forth, it could potentially be six rounds later. So as soon as they would start making death saves, I would have that option open to them and they could definitely make it after the third failed death save. But in a high stress environment, six rounds is forever. And so I think as soon as you're making death saves, you can use it or not whenever you see fit, I think would be the way I would go with it. That's interesting because just the fact that you were talking about in that sense made me think in a 5E setting, you could use this idea of a life point, but instead go, okay, instead of giving one life point out for the campaign, say everybody gets three life points at the beginning of the campaign. A life point is used to make a roll for success on a death saving roll mm. just automatically succeed or maybe it gives them advantage on it and so you could potentially save yourself three times if the dice rolled well yep for from dying if you use them and split them up or you could just simply use all three with one death and one potential death and make sure that that does not go illy yep i like it so thank you so much katie for writing in with that good question about a life point uh, from, from way back when. Yep. Blast from the past. Thank you. We just wanted to thank Rich again for coming on, sharing his time with us, and in all honesty, we had a conversation about getting him back on to probably having more discussions about voyage campaigns because we barely touched the surface of the water. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. 
Yes. And if you wanted to tell us all about your voyage campaigns, head on over to your email of choice and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you like this episode or any of the others and you see fit, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, which we'll read on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block, and you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, those are going to be the best places to go for that. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. But that's it from us here at the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm DM Mitch reminding you all to keep on dungeon mastering. So for today's nope. So 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 so. Haha. <laughs> I had to get myself pumped up apparently. Goodbye.